Hey friends, welcome back to the Semi-Seminary, and here we are, another week, another episode of our podcast, something we're calling the Bible for Grown-Ups, and this week we've got, unfortunately, another delay. We've had another snow day here in Oklahoma, so I guess, if anything, that listening to the podcast about the book of Job is going to teach us is giving us the patience of Job just trying to get through it. We'll come back next week unless there's another snowstorm on a Wednesday in Oklahoma and complete our study of Job. But tonight we'll have a bonus episode. What we're going to do, we're just going to look at very, very uh, basics. The ABC 123 of Christianity. What does it mean to be a believer? Where do we start? Well, tonight we're going to look at the very beginning and the very ending, the whole thing. How do we get close to God? It's through something called obedience. The basics of the Bible begins with obedience. Friend, I'll see you on the other side. Now, I'd like to begin tonight uh, in Hebrew Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this topic of obedience is going to be our subject, uh, these two verses. We'll come into the context of this verse here a little bit later in the episode. But first, uh, Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination, and stubbornness, is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, many of us feel a sense of failure when it comes to obedience to God's word in our lives. And if we're honest with each other and with God and with ourselves, all of us in some way, shape or form, feel like we've miss the expectations that are outlined for us in Holy Scripture, or at least perhaps in present-day Christian vogue. That's true. We should never get to a point where we're, you know, too big for our spiritual britches or high-minded where we're proud and we think we stand because the Apostle Paul warns us in Christian Scripture very clearly that when we get to the point that we need to take heed We must, lest we fall. Jesus of Nazareth in the Beatitudes told us, Blessed are the poor in spirit. We need to be humble if God's going to exalt us. That's why this is an ABCs, a back to the basics understanding of our faith, our relationship with God, because it begins with obedience. But there is around today this false humility with regard to obedience. What do I mean by false humility? I mean this. I think that there are people who are call themselves believers, who freely admit to you, look, I'm not what I should be as a Christian. I fall far short of everything that I thought I ought to be, but they're still resigned and content to stay that way. And some kind of substandard, fickle obedience to God. Yes, they follow Christ half of the way or three-quarters of the way or maybe even 99% of the way, but just not all of the way. 
and they'll admit it to you. Others might say, look, I know I'm not what I should be, but I try my best in some factors within the Christian life and commandments and rules and principles, yet in this moment, you're content where you are. You're not striving after that 100% complete dedication to the obedience of the testimony of Jesus. If you're like that, I'd vouch to say that you've never seen or understood the prominent place that obedience has, not only in God's word, but in the spiritual journey we're all on. Perhaps we've never been able, because of that, to never actually experience the provision that God has for us. For us to actually be enabled through God's grace to obey God. So what I'd like to do in this episode is take a step further back and ask, are you walking in paths of obedience, using and tapping into the power that God has provided for you? Now, I believe in the grace of God. I believe that we underestimate the grace of God and we ourselves converge on this idea of legalism, if not completely submerge ourselves in legalism. So I I want to write off the bat, whenever I talk about obeying, I'm not necessarily talking about rules and regulations. In fact, I'm not talking about rules and regulations. What I am talking about is allowing our lives to be guided by the Spirit in which we can encounter something supernatural in a natural life. Unmerited favor. Grace. But I'd also have to say that it is a misrepresentation of grace to think that grace permits us to be, be as a, a disobedient as we would like in our lives. And then, you know, just to get some sense of free forgiveness right away. That there's no consequence for the spiritual life and the spiritual fruit that our decisions will make. That's not grace. Paul, in fact, says in retort to such an idea in Christian scripture, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, friends, we are called in our spiritual journey first and foremost to obedience. So tonight, I'd like to look briefly, but yet in a sense comprehensively, at the prominent place, back to the basics, ABC, that obedience has for us in God's Word. I'd like to start at the very beginning of the Bible, first of all. So if you'd like to, if you've got your Bible with me and you're following along and you want to flip through, I'll probably give your fingers a workout during this episode, but let's go right back to paradise, to Genesis chapter 2. It's important for us to understand the prominent place given obedience in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord commanded the man Adam, you may eat freely eat of every tree in the garden. And then the next chapter, verse 12, we see what transpires. Adam and Eve's disobedience. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? Now, please note this, that right at the beginning of all time and all creation, with regard to the Holy Bible, the beginning of all things, obedience is the one thing 
that God commanded to humankind. And, please note further, that obedience was the one and only condition for Adam and Eve to abide to in the Garden of Eden. That's so important. The one thing that the creator of humankind right in the beginning asked of God's creatures was absolute obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. Please note in the first three or four chapters of the book of Genesis that outline creation and the fall of humankind, there's not a mention of faith. There's not one mention of humility. You know what? There's not even a mention of love. But the prime subject that God brings first to his creatures is, you must obey me. What's implied in that is that obedience incorporates love and humility and faith and every spiritual virtue that exists under the umbrella of complete and absolute obedience to God. Now, like I said, we're starting right at the beginning. We're laying the foundation, the first mention here, that in the life of humankind, to obey was the one needful thing as far as God was concerned. That's right at the beginning of God's word. Now, we're going to look at some passages in between. And again, remember, I'm teaching from the Christian perspective, so my study is going to include both Hebrew Scripture and the Christian Testament, right? So, so if you take Hebrew Scripture and Christian Scripture together, you can turn all of the way in the Word of God to Revelation, the last chapter in the Christian Bible, Revelation 22, verse 14. Now, I know that there are variations of the translation of the, this verse, Blessed are they, verse 14 of 22, that do his commandments. Some versions uh, put it, have washed their garments. Yet, washing your garments would be a command of the Lord in and of itself. It is obedience to do such. So it has the same meaning in this context. So that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Right at the end of the Bible. Obedience to God's command is still asked of humankind. Now note this, from beginning to end, from paradise lost in the Garden of Eden to paradise regained in the eternal state of heaven, it is only obedience on both occasions that gives the right access to the tree of life. So, you can see how obedience is definitely one of the ABCs of a spiritual life. You can definitely see how important obedience is. Now, again, you might, be, you might think I'm talking about works. I'm talking about salvation by works, by just doing things and gaining your salvation. I'm not. So you might be asking the question, well, how if there, how if there, was, a, if this, if there was disobedience at the beginning and that closed the way to the tree of life, how all of a sudden has obedience gained access in the last chapter to the tree of life in heaven, what caused the change? Again, for we Christian believers, we find the answer in Christian Testament. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Roman church, in chapter 5, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, and that's Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, we Christian believers be believing in Jesus, shall many be made righteous. 
How can it be that the tree of life is closed to humankind because of the disobedience and all of a sudden, at the end of God's word, at the end of time, it's open again? How can this possibly be when humans, man and, man and woman, are still sinners? By one man's obedience, the obedience of Christ. Christ has bridged the gap from beginning to end by the cross and by the shedding of his blood. Isn't it wonderful today? Make no mistake about it, that we don't rest for salvation upon our own obedience, but upon the obedience of another. Just like the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Philippian church, chapter 2, he puts it like this in verse 8. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that was after his obedience in completely fulfilling the whole of God's law, every small detail. And yet he, Jesus, died on the cross and was obedient to God's will. So what I want us to see right away at the beginning here is that the whole of redemption of Jesus Christ that we believers in Christ enjoy today consists in restoring obedience to its rightful place in all of our lives and in the whole of the universe. It always, always has been and always, always will be God's chief desire to have man and woman obedient to God. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. We'll look first at the life of Noah. Now, if Adam was the spiritual follower of the race of believers within Holy Scripture, then the race was wiped out in a flood, and God, as it were, made a new father of this race of believers in the Bible. He would certainly be in the person of Noah. Four times in Genesis 7, Verses 5, 9, and 16, we read these words or something like them, that Noah did according to all God commanded Noah, so he did. All that God uh, God commanded, Noah did. Right? And you know the story, and you know that only eight, eight were saved. But what I want us to see is that it was Noah's obedience to lead him to saving other humans and obviously being a very positive influence in the lives of others. We can move in Holy Scripture from Noah to Abraham. If Noah was the father of a new race in Holy Scripture, Abraham is the father of the chosen race in Hebrew Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11, in Christian Scripture, that great chapter on faith, not to exclude faith, in verse 8 we read, By faith Abraham obeyed. Obedience and faith, friends, do not cancel one another out. And you'll know, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, that the crowning act of Abraham's obedience was when he bound his son to the altar. And he lifted that knife up, the orders that he felt like God had put upon him, and he was ready to plunge it into the breast of his son, and God was well pleased of him because it was absolute and unquestioning obedience. Let's look for just a moment at that passage to remind ourselves. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. And he said, as he lifted up his hand with the dagger in it, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, so that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Verse 18. 
And by your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. Through Abraham's obedience by faith, the rest of the nation, the rest of the nations of the world would be blessed. Oh, that we might realize that in this moment, right at the very beginning of the Bible, before Christ died and rose again in the story, before the church was ever born, obedience is God's way to bless himself and God's name, to bless the nations of the world around us. A will willing to be utterly given up to God's will. So, I did tell you I was going to put your fingers to work in the Bible. Before I give you any more scripture, let me ask you. Let me ask you from the depths of your heart. Is your will completely and utterly surrendered to God's will? That was God's desire the day God saved you. Moses, when he went up Mount Sinai, was given the message of God to the people. God had said in Exodus 19 and 5, Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession out of all of the peoples. Moses so often obeyed the voice of the Lord, and when it came to the erection of the tabernacle, the tent of worship of the people of Israel in the wilderness, in the last three chapters of the book of Exodus, 19 times, you will find this expression, and I quote, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so did he. Then after that, and this is a telling statement, from that came the natural chain reaction that we read, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory filled the tabernacle of the Lord because Moses was obedient. Now words cannot be plainer. God is telling us right in this Hebrew scripture, period, that God dwells in the midst of God's people's obedience. And it's the same thing today. If you want to know God's presence in your home, if you want to know God's presence in your church, if you want to know God's presence in your business, you obey God. God crowns obedience with God's presence. Now, let me take you just a little bit further. After 40 years wandering in disobedience, it does have to be said, the Israelites again come to a new beginning. They were facing the promised land. They were about to enter Canaan. And if you turn to the book of Deuteronomy, you don't have to look at the verses now, but if you were to read the book of Deuteronomy at your leisure, and if you would read the book of Deuteronomy at your leisure, please send me an email. This is a book that's written in Hebrew Scripture with the promised land in sight by Moses. There's no other book in the whole of the Word of God that uses the word obey so frequently and outlines the blessings that obedience will occur upon us. And it can all be summed up in that familiar statement in Deuteronomy 11 and 27, when God says through Moses, I will set before you a blessing if you will obey and a curse if you will not obey. Now, I know that at this point in the Bible study, we're still in Hebrew Scripture, but again, let me jump ahead into the Christian Bible 
and show you that this principle goes right through Christian scripture, even in grace, even in Christ. That if you want to be blessed, you need to start obeying God. If you want to undergo God's discipline, God's displeasure, live your life in obedience. Live your life in open rebellion to God. That will absolutely occur. That's why we need to beware of praying only for God's blessing, right? We hear people in prayer, Lord bless me, Lord bless this church. When what God's word is telling us, even all the way back in Hebrew scripture times, is if you look after your obedience, God will look after the blessing. Have we learned that in our early Christian lives, or even in our state of supposed Christian maturity, the next new beginning in Hebrew scripture is the appointment of a king? Remember how the people wanted an earthly king? The first king that God chose was Saul, and there's a most solemn warning in the story of Saul that we read, that we read earlier in our opening text. Because the story of Saul, if it tells us, I mean nothing else, is this, that God requires exact and entire obedience of all of his children. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel commands Saul, that he has to wait seven days until he, the prophet Samuel, came to him, Saul. And Samuel would then perform a sacrifice, and Samuel would tell Saul from the mouth of the Lord what he ought to do. Now, Samuel, as far as Saul was concerned, didn't turn up on time. And when he was delayed, well, Saul just decided, hey, I'm the king. I might as well do the sacrifice. I mean, if I can't preside over the sacrifice, who can? So sacrifice, uh, Saul sacrificed. And when Samuel returned, we read in chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now... Your kingdom will not continue. Hey, friend, if you've made it this far in the podcast, I was wondering if I could just take a second to ask a quick favor. However it is that you're listening to us, if you could subscribe to us, however that you're listening, if you could subscribe or follow to let yourself know whenever we have new episodes coming out, more importantly, if you could rate us, if you could provide us a review on however it is that you're listening, it really helps us out. It also gives us uh, some feedback just to let us know you're out there listening. You appreciate what we're doing. It's very, very kind to have caught the feedback that we've received from people so far, and we would love to hear from you. So if you could rate the podcast, if you could review the podcast, please make sure to hit subscribe or follow. That way you'll catch all of the new content here. We certainly would appreciate uh, all of it. Now back to our story tonight. What does that tell us? It tells us simply that God will not honor a man or a woman who's not obedient to God. The second test of what was in Saul's heart was that he was commanded of God and the prophet to execute God's judgment against the nation of Amalek. So Saul, he obeys. There's no doubt about that. He obeys God and he gathers a great army together, about 200,000 200, 
or so men. He destroys Amalek after going into the wilderness to chase him. But what we need to see is that God told Saul very clearly, listen to his words, utterly to destroy all and not, not to spare. You may or may not know the story. He obeyed God, yet in his human wisdom, decided to Saul the king that he'd spare the best of the cattle. He might as well spare King Agag. He'd take the cattle and he'd do something very religious and commendable with it. He would sacrifice them unto the living God. Yet God speaks to Samuel and Samuel speaks to Saul and says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king for he has turned his back from following me, has not carried out my commands. When Samuel comes to Saul twice, Saul retorts, and protests to Samuel, but I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And so he had, we might as well think, but he hadn't obeyed God's word completely. His obedience had only been partial. His his obedience had not been entire and an absolute. God had said, utterly destroy all, spare not. To sum it all up, we read the words in 1 Samuel 15, God said, to obey is better than to sacrifice. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being the king over Israel. Now, if there was ever an ancient picture of modern-day believers' obedience, it's this one. It's partial. You might be listening to this podcast today. You might be someone who reads your Bible You take the odd opportunity, even perhaps as a Christian believer, to witness to people about Christ that you know have not come to know Jesus. You keep some of the commandments, yet, you know, like for example, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't killed anybody. But the fact of the matter is, you know as well as I do, that your obedience, my obedience, is only in measure, and that we are not always doing all that God has asked of us. And we say, like Saul, but I've obeyed the Lord. Maybe we have. But could it be that we're also protesting to God? I've obeyed you, but God is saying, as he says to Saul, but you've rejected the word of the Lord. Let's again move on to Christian scripture. We see first of all in our blessed Savior, we see very clearly from Christian Scripture, we discover the reason that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth in the beginning, for all of it, was obedience. We hear Jesus say, I'm sure, see, God, I've come to do your will. How many times does Jesus confess to people on the earth, I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me? Friends, we need to do nothing more but read the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And obedience was all that was required. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Many will say that on, on that day, Lord, Lord, but they will not get in. He concludes the matter by saying, Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In Jesus' farewell discourse, he reveals at the very end of his ministry that obedience was a con- It was the condition of constant fellowship with the triune Godhead. Let me show you. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate 
to be with you forever. Verse 21, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me and those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. 23, Jesus answers, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Let me be absolutely clear about the basics of our spiritual journey. If you want to know the reality of God's presence and moving in your life, you must be obedient. God's word is absolute and categorical. And in your mind, you might be thinking, God's not answering my prayers. God's not giving me what, my, what I want. God's not changing my circumstance the way I feel like God needs to. Maybe you're out of God's will in those matters. Maybe you're not. Maybe those are things that are genuine. But could it be that you're not obeying God in some way? If you want communion and you want to know God, chapter 15 of John tells us very clearly, if you want to abide in the vine, how do we do it? Is it more prayer that will cause us to abide in the vine? Is it having more faith, trying to believe more? Is it studying and pouring over more of God's word, listening to more Jesus podcasts, knowing more facts about prophecy, all sorts of doctrines of God's word? If we believe that, you know what? We have overlooked one of the simple ABCs of following God. And that's this. Obedience is the way to blessing. John chapter 15. Verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. For Jesus, himself on this earth, and for us, the only way to abide in divine love is to keep God's commandments. We've got, we don't have time to look at all of the different examples that we find of this in Holy Scripture, but we could look at the words of the apostles. Peter and Acts chapter 2 preached on the day of Pentecost. God has given his Holy Spirit to them that obey him. In Romans, the beginning and the end of that letter, Paul teaches us that obedience of Christ is what makes us righteous. We become the servants of obedience. In other words, the gospel of grace that is outlined in the epistle of Paul to the Romans, it is the restoration of the righteousness that was lost all the way back in chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis. Because we Jesus believers believe that Christ on the cross has restored us an ability to do something, to obey God. But are we? A.W. Tozer says it well. He says, to escape the error of salvation by works, we've fallen into the opposite error, of salvation without obedience, and there is no such thing. Another has said, when Christ takes the burden of guilt off a sinner's shoulder, he places the yoke of obedience upon their neck. James, did he not teach us that we are not to be just hearers of the word only, but doers of the same? And he expounds from the character of Abraham that he was justified, his faith was perfected by what? By his works in obedience. John the Apostle tells us, Whoever says I have come to know him but does not know his commandments and obey them is a liar. 
He goes on to say that obedience is one of the certain proofs of Christian character. Let us love in deed and truth. Hereby, we shall assure our hearts before God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of God because we keep God's commandments and do the things that are pleasing in God's sight. In other words, the evidence of knowing God is revealed to us, friends, through our obedience. It's also the secret of a good conscience and a confident prayer. The famed theologian John Calvin said, We cannot rely on God's promises without obeying his commands. This is the place that obedience has in Holy Scripture. Now, here's the question that I ask from that. Does it have the same prominence in our lives? As I close, let me, let me share just four things about obedience. Number one, the Lord asks and the Lord requires, actually expects every one of God's children to yield absolute obedience to God day by day, every hour of the day. Number two, to enable this, He's given us sufficient provision in the gift of his son and in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as one has put it, all of heaven is waiting to help those who will discover the will of God and choose to do it. All of heaven is awaiting to help those who will discover the will of God and choose to do it. God has put God's self at our disposal. Number three, that provision alone can be enjoyed by the soul that gives him or herself up to a life of abiding communion with God and God's presence day by day. Gary Culbertson wrote a book and he says, one of the reasons people find it hard to be obedient to the commands of Christ is that they're uncomfortable taking orders from a stranger. I wonder if that's why so many of us are not obeying the Lord today. Because God's become a stranger. You see, obedience is the fruit, but the root of obedience is love. If you do not have a cultivating relationship of love with the lover of your soul, the blessed God, you'll never get to that point where obeying God is an absolute delight and an absolute necessity. And number four, Entrance into this life demands a vow of absolute obedience, the surrender of our whole being to God. That means to be whatever God wants us to be, to think what God wants us to think, to speak only that which God wants us to speak, to do at every moment God's will. Simon, on the one occasion of being dejected, thinking that all his dreams were drowned, was out with some of the disciples going back to their fishing nets. When a stranger at the time appeared to them, they said to him, we've toiled all night, we've taken nothing, but it was, was Jesus. And he spoke to them and gave the command to cast the nets on the other side. And Peter reluctantly said, at your word, I'll let the net down. He was really saying, look, I think I know what's best because I've done all of this stuff in my life, but I'll choose. I will choose to obey you and I'll trust that you're right. And the nets were almost breaking with fish. 
Oswald Chambers said these remarkable words. The best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. Martin Luther, the great reformer and martyr, said, I had rather obey than work miracles. But do we? Do we obey God? It's the whole reason why we're saved. God dwells in the midst of God's people's obedience, but God requires exact and entire obedience. It's the certificate of Christian character. It is the secret of a good conscience. It is the assurance of confident and answered prayers. But if we are not completely obedient to him, we can be sure of none of these things. Dr. R.A. Torrey, the evangelist, said that one evening during one of his crusade meetings, he was told that a minister's son rather, was to be present in the congregation. Though this young man professed to be a Christian, he certainly didn't live the Christian life. And Torrey that evening watched for him, tried to guess whom he might be, thought, thought he knew who he was, so he selected as he thought the right man and began to preach to him. At the close of the service, he hurried to the door to greet everyone. He shook the hands of all the different people. And when that young man came out, he shook his hand and said to him, Good evening. I'm glad to see that you're here. Are you a friend of Jesus? The young man said, Yes, I consider myself a friend of Jesus. Jesus said, Tory replied, You're my friend if you do whatever I command you. His eyes fell and he said, Well, if those are the con- conditions, I guess I'm not one. Are we obeying God? Because obedience to God in finding his will, experiencing a truly intimate relationship with him hinges on our desire to give him our complete and constant obedience. It's the basics of our faith. It's as easy as ABC, one, two, three. I know that lessons like this can be hard. I think so often in our spiritual journeys, we look at our relationship with God and we say, yes, I want that. And I love all the good things. And I love the warm, tingly feeling that I have in my stomach when things go well. I love going to church on an bright Easter morning. I love going to light candles on a snowy Christmas Eve night. I I like the idea of being a Christian, but whenever you talk about actually changing my life so that I follow Christ, that sometimes, well, it's a little bit of a bigger pill to swallow. It's harder for us to do because it requires of us to stop talking about being a Christian and actually start doing it. And that's a tough jump to take. I get it. It's a leap of faith. It's a decision that we have to make that perhaps, perhaps that we don't know best for our lives, that maybe there is something out there who knows better for us than ourselves. But it is so hard for us to give up the reins. But if we really, really want a relationship with God, if we want to get back to the basics and experience intimacy with God, we have to understand it all begins with our choice 
not to learn the Bible by memory, not to have perfect attendance in Sunday school, but to obey, to simply obey. It's so hard to do, but it's so worth it in the end if we can accomplish it. At least to think it's something to think about. And until next week, friend, be well, stay warm, and stay off slick roads. We'll see you next time.